This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It is good to be with you again this morning and talk to you about hopefully things that are significant. Once again, just a quick reminder, if you haven't registered for the upcoming conference in September 22nd and 23rd, it's God to us. It's You can go to ReformationBoise.com and register. September 22, 23, Dr. Van Pelt, Dr. Gibson are speaking upon the covenant themes that run throughout the scriptures. This is one of the things that helped me fall in love with Reformed theology is just that covenant theology that permeates the scriptures and Really, it boils down to that God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God, and and that the whole of Scripture is is woven together with the great themes of God's covenant love and covenant faithfulness that begins before time and has no end. And and so, hopefully, that is what you will experience during the conference. We have a ton of books already ordered; more on the way. Um, so. ReformationBoise.com, register September 22nd and 23rd are the dates. Who registered first this year? I I don't have access to that, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was Vinny. I get very excited. I'm an early adopter in all things. <laughs> but may, maybe it was Josh. Maybe it was Josh. I'm not sure. I'm going to get the stats. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're going to talk about some things that are going to be highly controversial, and I apologize for that. I, I am Wait, going I'm to. Looking at what? What are we? T- okay, okay, yeah, that's super controversial. I am, in <laughs> essence, going to be asking these guys to tell me the names of their favorite child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and well, that's wh- easy. And what honey, I'm, turn off the radio. <laughs> Starts with an N. <laughs> and what I'm asking is first. What is your favorite confessional document? And then to follow up, what's your favorite article or question and answer of the Reformed Confessions? Mm. Okay, so my favorite confessional document is the Westminster Confession of Faith. I'm sorry. That's just where we're at. I love it, though. I don't um, think you need to apologize. This is a safe space. <laughs> yeah, 1689. Sorry, I have some PTSD. <laughs> no, uh, Westminster Confession of Faith. The nice thing about it is you can sit down and read it, you know, in about an hour, probably. Uh, so it's not, a, it's not a massive document, but it touches on all the, the most important um, theological themes in Scripture. I think my favorite article in there is uh, the third chapter, uh, dealing with God's eternal decree. Um, it just lays it out very clearly what God is sovereign over, which he is sovereign over everything. That doesn't make him the author of sin, nor does it take away the, the, the freedom of man. But just so clear, so concise, I, I just I think it'd be hard to find a, a more clear description of the sovereignty of God anywhere in Christendom than that chapter. I am biased, though. Others? 
Uh, I'm a Belgian confession guy. That's my favorite. So that was written by uh, Guido de Bray, who was a primary author. And uh, he wrote it at the height of the conflict between the Catholic Church and the Reformers. And he was essentially pleading with King Philip of Spain to uh, relieve some of the persecution they were suffering. And so he writes down and articulates exactly what they believe uh, as Reformed Christians. And um, I think my favorite part of it actually is in the preamble. And yes. so in the letter that they write, they, they, they include these words, we will offer our backs to stripes, our tongues to knives, our mouths to gags, and our whole bodies to fire before we will deny these truths in this confession. And so I've always hoped to live with that same courage and conviction. Yeah, that, pas- that passionate, um, willing to be a martyr, then give up uh, the gospel. Yep. That, that's really, that, that's amazing. I traversed both Presbyterian and Reformed world, and so I came in with the Westminster Confession of Faith, and I, I really loved the Westminster Confession, partly because of the way it was designed as this doctrinal compass to keep uh, the, the bearings of the church uh, from error and division. And, you know, it, it was uh, this ecumenical council with a large number of representatives. They didn't make decisions about the confession itself without a great deal of prayer. They offered up a number of ways in which to modify the statements that they would make, and then they would come back and agree to those things. They're basically standing on the shoulders of the, the Belgic Confession and uh, the Canons of Dort, and those you know to, in order to do this. But to me, I think it was it's one of the most complete doctrinal statements that you can find in a confessional document. I have been in both Presbyterian circles and three forms of unity. When you say three forms, remind us what those are. So, Belgic Confession, Heidelberg Catechism, Canons of Dort, and then you've got the Westminster Standards, which is the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Larger Catechism, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Mm -hmm. There are many more Reformed documents. I actually have a four-volume set at home of Reformed documents written in the 16th and 17th century. Mm -hmm. So, these are – we're just doing a smattering of the Reformed documents that are out there. And I, I I like certain ones for different reasons. Mm-hmm. So, because of the time frame of when we were in Presbyterian circles, I I really did raise my children on the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and so mm-hmm. I have a, a very fond affection for the Westminster right. Shorter Catechism because it's connected to my kids mm-hmm. and instructing them in the faith, um, and that was the primary tool that we used in that instruction with regard to mm-hmm. Reformed theology. But personally, I love the Heidelberg Catechism for its pastoral, experiential um, nature. Mm-hmm. I'm so warm taking theology and, and hopefully making it both accessible and pastoral um, in, its, in its nature. Yeah, because the Heidelberg Catechism actually will ask a question, how does this benefit you? And that's the, that's really an important question to be asked. How does this comfort you? How does this benefit you? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's asking you to apply the doctrine, right. not just to know it. I've often said, though, if I'm in a theological debate, I want the Westminster Standards beside me. Mm-hmm. If I want pastoral comfort and care, I'm probably going to turn yeah. to the Heidelberg Catechism. So it, for me, it all just depends on the moment mm-hmm. I'm in, which one I'm going to turn to. Probably the the article or question and answer, it's kind of related. It's Article 13 of the Belgic dealing with the doctrine of God's providence 
And then Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg is also dealing with God's providence. And both of them have the same theme. I'll just read the Heidelberg. It says, Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And I I just have found that to be so Mm -hmm. not just theologically rich, but theologically comforting, because we all experience moments that put you in some port part of that categories, mm-hmm. right? The extremes and, and saying, it's not chance. Mm-hmm. This is all coming to you from his fatherly hand. And, and well, I find great comfort in that. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that uh, the first catechism question I ever uh, learned was from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And I think a lot of people have actually heard that Yep. but not realized where it comes from when, when they're asked, what is the chief end of man or what is yeah. the purpose of man? And that, that is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I'd, I'd learned that question even before I even knew that there was such a thing as a, as a confessional statement or a catechism question. I do also like um, the Heidelberg uh, Catechism uh, question and answer 21, what is true faith? Mm. True faith is not only a certain knowledge, whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also an assured confidence which the Holy Spirit works by the gospel in my heart that not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. I'm just going to put a little plug out there there are going to be great resources at the reformation boise conference on on the confessions Mm -hmm. so there'll be beautiful bound books that have the confessions in them that you can purchase at a very low price Um, there are devotional books star mead writes one on the the larger catechism and on the heidelberg catechism there is rc sproul's book on the Westminster Confession of Faith. So there is going to be a plethora of materials, both for young and older people, that you can purchase at the conference that would help introduce you or deepen your love and understanding of the confessions. And I would just encourage you to to pick some of those up at the upcoming conference. I have found them to be so beneficial as I've, I've learned over the years with my kids. And include your kids in the process. Um, they will pick up a lot more than what you realize. And these confessional standards were written, the catechisms were written as a teaching tool. And so continue to use them, continue to benefit from them. You know, we earlier, I guess it was a, a day or so ago, we were talking about uh, life and death circumstances. And we're talking about catechism today. But I remember when my father passed away, funeral actually occurred on my daughter's like eighth birthday and uh you know she the question she started to ask well what what happened to grandpa you know and then uh, then she answered her own question oh yes i know he has a soul that can never die Mm. where did Mm. she learn that she learned that from the children's catechism Mm -hmm. based on the westminster Mm -hmm. confession of faith I, I I really did kind of misspeak before when I said that I, I taught my kids the shorter catechism. I really did teach them actually the children's catechism, which is based on the shorter catechism. Mm-hmm. So 
just to come clean, I want to be honest here. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, they were in effect learning the shorter catechism, but right. it, kind of a, a, a little bit more accessible right. version of it. But you know, the, que- the question there was, have you a soul as well as a body? And the answer was, yes, I have a soul that can never die. And that's, mm-hmm. where, that's what she learned so that she could apply it even in the death of uh, her grandfather. We have just a little bit of time. Just one more question. Do you prefer to officiate at a wedding or a funeral, and why? I, I would prefer a funeral, actually. Maybe, maybe because weddings usually come with about eight weeks of premarital counseling, but, and, and funerals come with three days preparation. <laughs> but, I mean, there's, there's, there, is a sense, there is a sense in which, you know, particularly when you're talking about somebody who's gone home to be with the Lord, uh, because to be absent from the body is to be present with him. And it's in a place that is far better than anything else we could ever imagine or think. And I think that there's a, it's almost like the graduation uh, ceremony to something far, far, far better. If it's a believer, I would pick a funeral every time. Mm-hmm. If it's an unbeliever, then I would pick the wedding. Right. Preaching at an un- unbeliever's funeral is extremely hard. That's right. Um, I'll diddle that. But preaching at a believer's funeral, what a joy. Yeah. What a joy. I mean, it can be emotionally hard, but it, it's still a delight. You know, what, you know, one of the things that have helped me sometimes with members in our church is uh, I oftentimes ask them if I can have their Bible. And mm-hmm. what I'll do is as I'm thumbing through their Bible, I'll see places where they've paused or maybe put something in the margin or mm-hmm. uh, written things, underlined, and it gives me an insight into that person in order to uh, proclaim uh, how God has worked in their life. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll see you tomorrow.